0: Due to the sensitive nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of death and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Nothing extraordinary ever really happened in Pont-Saint-Esprit. This small town in southern France was known for, well, not very much— but in August, 1951, the village's calm turned to chaos.
0: That morning, a frantic knock at Dr. Jean Vieux's door interrupted his morning coffee. Almost as soon as Dr. View turned the knob, a local farm boy ran inside. He screamed that a swarm of bees was attacking him.
1: Dr. Vieux stared at the boy. There were no bees. The only chaos surrounding the farmhand was his own arms flailing and swatting the air.
0: The doctor tried to grab a hold of the boy and sit him down, but it was no use. He just kept thrashing until he broke free, and then he began slapping his face in a desperate attempt to kill the bees that were apparently stinging him.
1: After minutes of screaming, the boy finally collapsed to the floor. Dr. View sighed with relief. At least the fight was over now.
0: But to the doctor's horror, the farm boy was just the start of what became known as the ailment of Pont saint esprit And to this day, no one knows what caused it.
1: Welcome to Conspiracy Theories,
0: You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our one-part episode on Pont-Saint-Esprit. In 1951, dozens of people in the little French town experienced wild hallucinations. Residents had visions ranging from euphoric to scary, and eventually at least four people died.
0: In this episode, we'll first cover how the hallucinations began. We'll explore how local doctors handled early signs of the illness and the more terrifying symptoms that came later.
1: Then, we'll analyze two conspiracy theories related to the 1951 saga. First, that the terrifying visions were brought on by a fungal disease in the town's bread supply. We'll also explore a second and perhaps more sinister conspiracy theory. During the Cold War, the CIA experimented with mind-control drugs, and the residents of Pont Saint-Esprit became guinea pigs.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. If
1: you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld Podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New season out on Spotify soon. After the Nazis left the French town of Pont-Saint-Esprit in 1945, things became peaceful, idyllic even.
0: Less than 5,000 people lived there, and most of them worked as farmers. The town's architecture more closely resembled medieval times than modern cities. In other words, it was picturesque.
1: And that's part of why the widespread phenomena that overtook the city in August 1951 shocked so many.
0: On August 17th that year, Laurent Moulin still had some bread left over after feeding her son lunch, so she offered it to her pets.
1: Her dog took one sniff of his bowl and leapt away in disgust. Meanwhile, the cat and ducks gobbled up the table scraps... So Laurent thought nothing more of it until the next morning.
0: Laurent was in the middle of her cleaning routine when an inhumane scream pierced the air. When she turned, she saw her cat screeching and twisting around on the floor. But the cat wouldn't allow her to pick it up. Instead, it hissed and cried louder.
1: Then, to her dismay, the cat rammed itself headfirst into the wall and it continued to, repeatedly, until it collapsed and convulsed. In a last burst, it tried to climb up the wall before finally dropping to the floor, motionless. The cat was dead.
0: Tear-stricken, Laurent's eyes drifted to her kitchen window. Outside, she saw one of her ducks lying motionless on its side. Much to her bewilderment, the three others were marching upright, strutting like penguins
1: she ran into the yard and lifted up the motionless duck's head it dropped back to the ground soon another duck collapsed as well Lauren had lived with animals all her life but she'd never witnessed anything as unusual as this
0: though she was terrified Lauren didn't share her stories with the authorities she figured it was an isolated incident on her farm Little did she know, it was the beginning of a wave sweeping the small village.
1: That same evening, Dr. Albert Gabay returned home to discover a crowd of people sitting in his waiting room. Gabay was used to
0: treating one, maybe two patients a day. Now, nearly a dozen people demanded his services. So one by one, he ushered them into his
1: office. Each person had the same symptoms. Nausea, chills, an upset stomach, and despite the thick summer heat, the doctor also found that most of them had a body temperature well below normal. More
0: similarities between the cases followed. Seven of the patients he examined were from a family of 13, but the other six members didn't exhibit any symptoms. Looking for clues, Dr. Gabai interrogated the father, pressing him for details on what the group had eaten the night before.
1: At first, the father claimed they'd all had the exact same dinner, but eventually, one of his daughters reminded him that she'd gone to two different bakeries for the bread.
0: And at supper, the baskets had been placed on either side of the table. The seven people who ate from one basket got sick afterwards. Those who ate the other bread experienced no symptoms.
1: So the next day, Gabai journeyed to the family's home to get a sample of the suspect loaf, which he planned to send out to a laboratory for analysis.
0: Upon returning home, the doctor found his waiting room once again crowded with people. They all exhibited identical symptoms to the previous batch of patients.
1: After treating them, Gabay received another call, this time from Mrs. Misson, a local woman. She told him that her husband, Félix, had fallen extremely ill. Wasting no time, the doctor sped over to the Misson home. Once
0: there, Gabay asked the couple to list everything they'd eaten in the past few days. One item stuck out to them, bread. After prescribing Feinlich some medicine, he dashed back to town to contact Dr. View, another local doctor.
1: View confirmed that he too had been making rounds all day. Together, their cases numbered more than 230 just in Pont Saint Esprit, and all the patients displayed similar symptoms nausea, vomiting, and low temperatures. Some also had enlarged pupils, slower heart rates, and even trouble breathing.
0: And like Goodbye, View had reached the same conclusion. There was something dangerous in the bread. Unfortunately, neither doctor had any clue what specifically that was.
1: Still, at the time, they also agreed that the symptoms were relatively mild, As long as the illness remained manageable, the townspeople weren't in serious danger. However, as the number of ailing residents skyrocketed, it was soon clear that this was something far more dangerous than simple food poisoning.
0: The day after his meeting with View, Gabai received another call from Madame Misson. Panic-stricken, she begged the doctor to come right away, Her husband had grown even more ill.
1: When Gabay arrived at their farm with his medical bag in hand, Mrs. Misson explained what happened. After the doctor's first visit, her husband had leapt out of bed and sprinted into their yard. Then he dashed back into the house before jumping onto the bed and writhing himself in the sheets. Then he went quiet. Now he was hardly breathing.
0: When Dr. Gabbai arrived, the man's pupils were dilated.
1: He wheezed with each breath, and his pulse appeared slow and faint. Fearing that he may not have much time, Dr. Gabbai called an ambulance. Then he tried to assure the wife that her husband would be okay, but in his heart, he knew the man was on the verge of death.
0: After the ambulance picked up the ailing man, Gabbai sped to the mayor's house, it was clear that a crisis was unfolding. Soon, two other doctors were called in to discuss the nearly 300 cases in Pont Saint Esprit.
1: It felt out of control. The disease was growing and things were worsening. But without any sense how to curb it, there was little the doctors could do but continue to make house calls.
0: By the next day, it became evident that people's symptoms had developed far beyond their initial observations. One local man hadn't slept for two nights. He seemed to fluctuate between euphoria and utter despair. One minute, he walked around with a wide smile on his face. The next, he sunk into a crippling depression.
1: A farm worker was in a similar state. At times, he felt incredibly strong. But then he would writhe in agony and sweat profusely plus there was an impossibly foul odor not unlike an animal carcass that permeated the room when dr goodbye examined the man he had to shield his nose and mouth
0: while goodbye attended to house calls the mayor of pont saint esprit took precautions to help limit the spread He shut down every local bakery and requested help from medical professionals at nearby universities. Then he ordered the town inspectors to investigate the matter immediately.
1: But even with officials springing into action, the symptoms took a new terrifying turn.
0: At 1.30 a.m. on the morning of August 20th, Dr. Gabai examined a five-year-old girl who appeared gravely ill.
1: The child's body shook, her knuckles and toes clenched, and her eyes darted wildly around the room.
0: Most surprisingly, she screamed for her mother to stop the tigers. She said that at any minute, the beasts would eat her. Then pointing upwards at the ceiling, the little girl yelled that blood was dripping from the ceiling.
1: Dr. Gabai was horrified. As he reached for the telephone to call the hospital, He noticed the girl's father propped up in his own bed. He begged the doctor to give him curtains with beads for the flies in his room. He repeated the words over and over. Then the man collapsed.
0: Clearly, both the father and his daughter were sick, but they exhibited a previously unseen symptom, hallucinations.
1: Doctor Goodbye, unsure of exactly what to do, administered a sedative to each and instructed the mother to call him if either relapsed. Upon returning home, the doctor dropped into his chair with exhaustion. Maybe he could catch an hour or two of sleep, but as he drifted off, the phone rang. It was the hospital.
0: Félix Misson was dead.
1: The news was grim and set a new fear in motion. The bread wasn't just getting people sick. It could also kill.
0: Coming up, the sickness spreads through Pont Saint-Esprit.
2: Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parkcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases. Like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town. Or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions. And the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from podcast made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify.
0: Now back to the story.
2: In August of
1: 1951, hundreds of residents in Palm Saint-Esprit experienced symptoms of nausea, low temperature, and insomnia. As doctors scrambled to treat the sick, The illness grew even more serious. Dozens began hallucinating and one local man passed away.
0: Across the town people experienced disturbing visions. A postman believed his body was shrinking. A mother thought she witnessed her children ground into sausages. Many appeared to be running from non-existent fires and other terrors.
1: But the hallucinations were only the beginning.
0: At around 11 p.m. on August 24th, Dr. Gabay arrived at the local hospital. He'd come to check on a former pilot who'd been admitted in serious condition.
1: As he strode through the parking lot, he noticed a crowd forming outside. They all stared up at one of the second-floor windows. Dr. Gabay squinted upwards and tried to make out what they were looking at. It took a moment for him to realize that the man standing on the ledge was the pilot he'd been called in to see. As the man
0: flapped his arms in the air, two nurses attempted to drag him back inside to safety. But every time they reached out, he swatted them away.
1: Spreading his arms like wings, the pilot shouted at the top of his lungs that he was an airplane. Before the nurses could stop him, he leapt from the second story.
0: The man plummeted through the air. He crashed
1: legs-first onto the ground. By the time Dr. Gabbaya reached the injured pilot, he'd already managed to lift himself off the ground and begin running. The doctor couldn't believe what he saw. Surely the man's legs were broken, and yet he sprinted for 50 meters before collapsing once again.
0: Similar cases continued to overwhelm the hospital dozens upon dozens of patients suffering from grotesque hallucinations and convulsions overpopulated the rooms. By the beginning of September, at least four people had died from poisoning and more than 300 people in the town had fallen ill.
1: Inexplicably, as time passed, the cases subsided. Many gradually recovered from their symptoms in the hospital.
0: But there was still a pervasive fear about what exactly had caused them in the first place. People like Dr. Gabay and the townspeople of Pont saint esprit demanded an explanation for the traumatic events. By early September, many thought it was clear that the bread was responsible for the outbreak. However, this was only the starting point. It didn't explain what was in the bread or how it got there.
1: Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. The bread was contaminated by the ergot fungus, leading to the spread of an affliction known in modern times as ergotism.
0: To understand how a rare disease might have wreaked havoc on the small French town, we need to analyze how the country's bread industry worked.
1: Following World War II, the French government took over supervision of the country's baking industry. They wanted to ensure all regions had access to flour. Areas with a surplus were then required to send their extra materials to towns dealing with a flour scarcity.
0: While the system provided bakers with ample ingredients, the new process had a downside. Bread makers couldn't choose where their flour came from.
1: Even if they received low-quality supplies... They had no choice but to use it. Refusing to bake with the flour meant closing shop for several days to await new ingredients, so that wasn't really an option for most bakers.
0: As for the bakers in pont Saint-Esprit, the system sent them flour from a miller named Maurice Maillet, whose factory was on the other side of the country.
1: It seems that Maurice may have been shipping off his less-than-perfect flour to bakers in the south, In the months leading up to August 1951, dozens of Southern bakers complained to French officials about the quality of his product. The flour was sticky, oily, and gray in color.
0: But that might not have been all Maillet's fault. From what we can tell, Maillet worked with a supplier named Guy Brewer to source grain for his mill. Brewer might have had a history of providing subpar grains, but he often blamed it on late-season harvests and older grain coming from the bottom of the silo.
1: Yet when Brewer brought this particular delivery, the mill workers immediately noticed that it was of extremely low quality.
0: It contained a large amount of rye, which would increase the risk of ergot poisoning. It was also
1: dusty and even contained moths. Because of the worrisome appearance of the grain, Maillet combined it with a good flour, then shipped it off to the south of France. And on August 9th, Breuer and Maillet's Modge podge of dusty rye soaked flour arrived at Roche-Briand's bakery in Pont-Saint-Esprit.
0: Briand often received ingredients from Maillet, and despite the faults in the quality, he produced some of the best bread in the region. But on the night of August 15th, Maillet's flour was almost too disgusting for the baker to salvage.
1: Late that evening, Brienne kneaded the dough in his kitchen. It appeared gray and unappetizing, so he took a small taste. It seemed fine, so he slid it in the oven.
0: By the next morning, he had dozens of loaves of beautiful golden bread. As far as Brienne could tell, there was nothing wrong with this product. And so, as usual, he sold the loaves to residents in Pont-Saint-Esprit.
1: Over the next two weeks, though, the baker slowly realized that everyone who'd fallen ill had eaten bread from his shop. The authorities reasoned that a poisonous substance must have been in the dough. And they had a strong hunch that it was tied to the disease known as ergotism.
0: Ergotism is a poisoning caused by the consumption of grains, such as rye, that have been infected by a psychedelic fungus. Often, the victims experience headaches, burning limbs, convulsions, and even hallucinations.
1: The illness even goes beyond strange visions. In severe cases, the chemical can blacken people's limbs, eventually leading to gangrene and death.
0: By 1951, it had been almost 140 years since there was a reported case of ergotism in France. Still, many of the Saint-Esprit patients matched the description for the disease. So, authorities reasoned there must have been an unusually high amount of rye in the dough.
1: An investigation followed into both Maillet and the man whose rye was used in the batch of flour to briand Both men claimed they didn't know anything about ergot poisoning in rye. Still, the
0: authorities charged the two men with four different counts, including involuntary
1: homicide. Which was surprising to some people, because there was one potential problem with the ergotism theory. According to some experts, there would have had to have been a very large amount of ergot in the bread to affect humans. So much that they'd be completely inedible, and the loaves Briand sold to the people of Pont-Saint-Esprit weren't.
0: In the months following the incident, a laboratory tested samples of the contaminated bread on mice. Most of the animals died or were paralyzed, but it didn't seem to be because of the rye. Officials discovered that just 5% of the flour was made from the substance, and within that, only one unit per 1,000 contained the ergot fungus. Scientists considered that amount negligible, and it shouldn't have been enough to
1: kill. Because the court didn't have substantial proof to convict either of the men on the involuntary homicide charges, they were released after two months in prison.
0: Still, public opinion had turned on everyone involved, including the baker roche who shut down his bakery following the incident. With hundreds of poisoned locals and multiple deaths, the town couldn't forget or forgive the damage the bread had done.
1: This is an interesting case. While the French courts didn't convict the miller, I still think ergotism could be responsible for the outbreak. It's an affliction typically found in Rye, and it causes identical symptoms to those experienced at Pont Saint-Esprit.
0: The symptoms may be identical, but there was evidence that the dough didn't contain enough rye to affect so many people. Not only did officials claim the bread would have been completely inedible if lethal ergot was present, scientists confirmed with their testing that it likely wasn't enough to kill.
1: But it was enough that the laboratory mice still fell dead or were paralyzed by the contaminated samples clearly something inside the dough was extremely harmful.
0: You're right, but I think that points to something other than ergot. I find it hard to believe that pont Saint-Esprit experienced a disease that hadn't been seen in France since the early 1800s. Plus, Maillet's flour went out to dozens of cities across the country. If it was infected with a poison, then there should have been more cases like the ones we discussed.
1: That's a good point. And stands to reason the bread would have gotten far more people sick. Still, I can't dismiss the correlation between the ergotism symptoms and the experience of the sick townspeople. On a scale of one to ten, with ten being the most believable, I give this theory a four.
0: A lot of the symptoms do line up, but I think we should be wary of accepting the most popular explanation for the pont saint Esprit incident as the truth. Ergotism is possible, but I'm not sure the science actually lines up with the theory. So I'll go a bit lower and give this theory a three.
1: The ergotism explanation assumes that what happened in Pont-Saint-Esprit was a tragic accident. But there are some theorists who believe that the small French town was a deliberate target.
0: Coming up, the people of Pont-Saint-Esprit are part of a mind experiment.
1: Now, back to the story. In
0: 1951, local bread infected hundreds of people in Pont-Saint-Esprit, France. At least four people died, while dozens more experienced symptoms like physical convulsions and hallucinations.
1: Experts tried to explain the bizarre tragedy, and for decades, the most popular answer was ergot poisoning. The flour provided to the town bakery had been tainted.
0: But new information came to light in 2009, which made some people suspect that there was a more nefarious explanation. The United States may have interfered with the residents in Pont Saint-Esprit.
1: Which brings us to our second and final conspiracy theory. The CIA used the town of Pont Saint-Esprit to test drugs for mind control. ...for future use against the Soviet Union.
0: In the 1930s, chemist Albert Hoffman worked at Sandoz Laboratories in Switzerland. And in
1: 1938, Hoffman discovered a new drug called lysergic acid diethylamide... ...or as it's more commonly known, LSD. He uncovered it by isolating compounds found in ergot... The same substance that allegedly contaminated the bread at saint esprit
0: while hoffman was excited about the discovery some researchers worried about the dangers it might pose if it became widely used perhaps their caution was warranted because by the 1950s lsd had gone from laboratory experiment to possible weapon
1: sandoz laboratories sold lsd to the u.s government and the CIA quickly launched numerous LSD studies under an initiative called Project Bluebird.
0: In the early days of the Cold War, the U.S. looked for any opportunity to one-up the Russians. LSD was particularly appealing because it was potent and easy to use on individuals without them noticing.
1: In well-documented experiments, the CIA tested LSD on enemy combatants, domestic prisoners, US soldiers, and even civilians. And because the agency has this history of administering new drugs to civilians, some have suspected that Pont Saint Esprit may have been the target of an LSD study.
0: The idea isn't totally unfounded. There is evidence that suggests those who spoke out about Project Bluebird were silenced. In the early 1950s, American biological warfare specialist Frank Olson worked closely with the CIA.
1: Olson frequently traveled to Europe to observe highly classified interrogation centers. Often, these bases utilized psychedelic drugs like LSD in their experiments. If anyone discovered these questionable activities, it could have been a major scandal. So Olson made sure to keep his mouth shut even when the military used civilian test subjects.
0: On August 16, 1951, Olson was stationed in France along with a special division of American scientists. Within days, dozens of people in Pont Saint-Esprit experienced intense hallucinations.
1: And research more than 50 years later from a journalist named H.P. Alborelli may confirm a link. During his investigation into the government's drug testing programs, Alborelli found a document that potentially connects Frank Olson to the outbreak.
0: When he examined the document, two phrases in the title stuck out to him, Paul Santespri and F. Olson.
1: Furthermore, two of the anonymous CIA sources Alborelli cites reportedly claim that Olson started to have doubts about his involvement in America's biological warfare effort. And by 1953, Olson seemed ready to go to the authorities or even the press with the story. Of course, according to Al this terrified the CIA.
0: On November 18, 1953, top agency officials invited Frank Olson and several other biowarfare researchers to a retreat in Maryland. Olsen believed he'd been invited on a get-to-know-you weekend with other government employees and CIA chemist Sidney Gottlieb.
1: Gottlieb headed up the biochemical program for the agency. Eventually, he became the father of the LSD experimental operation known as MKUltra. Unfortunately for Olson, he was one of the project's first test subjects.
0: On the second night of the retreat... Gottlieb spiked Olsen's drink with LSD. He later told Olson's family that it was because he wanted to see if the government employees could hold up to interrogation while under the drug's influence. Within minutes, Olsen began having hallucinations.
1: The next day, Olson couldn't remember much after the drugging. As he traveled home, he likely worried he'd accidentally revealed his true feelings about Paul Saint-Esprit to Gottlieb.
0: Over the course of the following week, Olson only became more fearful, now for his safety. He wanted to quit his job and to be done with all the madness. He asked his immediate superior to fire him.
1: Instead of letting him go, though, the CIA sent Olson to New York City for psychological evaluation. And on the night of November 27, 1953, Olson had dinner with Gottlieb's chief deputy. Robert Lashbrook.
0: The two men returned to their shared hotel room and went to sleep. At 2.25 a.m., Olson allegedly rose, ran across the room, and threw himself through a closed window. The fall killed him.
1: Lashbrook and his CIA employers claimed Olson killed himself. They said he'd been disturbed for weeks However, they didn't reveal that they'd recently drugged him with LSD, nor did they explain that he may have been holding onto devastating government secrets.
0: What two CIA sources later said was that in the early morning hours, Lashbrook and two other men attempted to remove Olson from his room. And when the scientists struggled, the men allegedly pitched him out of the window to his death.
1: Then, just a few weeks after Olson's death, A CIA representative and an employee of Sandoz Laboratories allegedly met for dinner, and the topic of conversation turned upon Saint-Esprit.
0: Perhaps loosened by a few drinks, the Sandoz man revealed that the bread had nothing to do with the people's hallucinations. It had actually been an LSD-type compound.
1: This theory is grounded in the idea that Pont-Saint-Esprit was a CIA experiment for LSD studies. It's possible the agency hired Sandoz Laboratories to secretly administer the drug to the French residents. Perhaps they slipped it into the flour that eventually reached the Briand Bakery.
0: That explanation would account for the townspeople's symptoms, including their hallucinations, bouts of depression, and dilated pupils. This also correlates to a time when the U.S. government was apparently willing to experiment on unwitting subjects.
1: In fact, during the Cold War, the U.S. was willing to do just about anything to gain an edge on the Soviets. So perhaps Paul Saint-Esprit was just a testing ground for them. It's certainly plausible.
0: After all, the CIA wasn't above dosing its own operatives. They did put LSD in Frank Olson's drink. However... Drugging an entire town in a foreign country is more of a leap.
1: I see your point. Nevertheless, the evidence is there. Think of Alborelli's sources. They claimed Olson was drugged because of his top secret knowledge and the doubts he was having. On top of that, we can't discount the document that supposedly lists Olson's name next to the words Pont Saint Esprit.
0: That's true, but while some of the symptoms of LSD resemble the 1951 reactions, not all of them do. LSD takes effect in just a few hours, but the hallucinations occurred as far as days after residents consumed the tainted bread. Those timelines don't match up.
1: I see what you're saying. We really don't have any explanation as to why the visions may have come on so late. Plus, the fact that the evidence supporting this comes exclusively from anonymous sources makes it impossible to vet. While I believe there's some correlation between Olsen and Pont-Saint-Esprit, we may never know what specifically without more unbiased information. I'm going to go in the middle and give this theory a 5 out of 10.
0: You make a good point. The United States has certainly engaged in some questionable and unethical projects when it comes to LSD. While it may seem extremely risky to dose an entire town, we've since learned that the agency oversaw other questionable operations in the 1950s and 60s. For example, while the CIA has never confirmed the extent of its MKUltra program in Montreal, it does suggest that the agency was willing to take its testing of LSD international. For me, My doubts are still with how the symptoms of LSD don't fully match those experienced in France in 1951. Usually, the effects of the drug wear off within 24 hours, but the ailments of Pont-Saint-Esprit residents wore on for days. Knowing that, this theory is a four for me.
1: Even today, the events at Pont-Saint-Esprit remain a mystery. And the residents of the tiny French town are left to wonder what really happened during that summer over 70 years ago.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more information on Paul Saint-Esprit, amongst the many sources we used, we found H.P. Alborelli Jr.'s book, A Terrible Mistake, and John G. Fuller's book, The Day of St. Anthony's Fire, extremely helpful to our research. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.
2: Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.